0: Hey everyone, this is EJ Lawless from HR Tech Go To Market, the best and only podcast on how companies in the future of workspace bring their companies to market. Today, I am here with the founder of Madebot, Micah Green. Micah, thanks for coming to the show today. Would love to learn more about your background and Madebot. Uh, what are you working on, and how would you get into it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. So. Yeah, some quick background on myself. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. into an entrepreneurial family, so it was kind of blessed and cursed since I was born. <laughs> my grandparents actually started a children's summer camp. After 10 days of, of meeting, they got married, started that, and then I essentially worked on that camp growing up since I was really little. I loved it, loved being kind of on that side of the table, and then watched my mom with some of her very successful companies she started and, and sold some of which. Uh, I nice. just fell in love with that of, of really building something from nothing. So since I was really young, I had started some form of business, whether it's selling things out of my basement to my neighbors, all the way to video editing services, eventually smartphone apps, and then just knew that this is why I'm here. This is what I want to cool. be doing.
0: So that's great. And and what is
1: Madebot? Yeah, so Madebot is a robotics company, and we're focused right now on commercial cleaning and eventually wanted, wanting to get into some other spaces. So, so really, the goal is to build robots that empower humans. And some context is I actually worked as a housekeeper as part of one of my classes in the Hospitality Management School at Cornell, and really saw that there's a huge issue with the labor side of things, which has only gotten worse since then. Uh, so saw that robotics could help you know, alleviate some of those challenges, as well as providing even, even more benefits than what was out there today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think we're seeing that in the labor market right now. It's incredibly difficult to hire. And I know there are certain positions that are much more strenuous and injury prone than others. It doesn't look like you have a background in robotics necessarily. How did you come into the idea of robotics?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I did have some small background, nothing you know formal or professional, but I did do an international robotics competition throughout high school and won a couple of years and, and love the software side of it. And really the inspiring piece of that was when the director of the program yeah. kept telling us over and over that robotics is the next wave, just like personal computing in the 70s and 80s, internet in the 90s, really robotics is for the 2020s. And I heard that 10 plus years ago and fell in love with that idea, being able to bring something you know outside of factories, outside of warehouses that could really transform the world. And, you know, really part of that was also learning that robots are built for these tasks that are dull or repetitive, dirty or dangerous. So when I actually was working as a room attendant or a housekeeper cleaning rooms, I realized that, you know, that position in particular encompasses all of those traits. It, it seemed like a perfect match and it was really untapped. So, you know, I had the idea to, to essentially bring the two together of hospitality with a focus on housekeeping as well as robotics.
0: Yeah, great. That makes sense. I, th- I think so. You have that background in robotics uh, in high school. That's really cool. And then you have that experience on the the service side. How did you assess whether or not the robotics technology was ready to operate in this environment? And maybe it's also helpful to understand what part of the in-home clean, or not sorry, not in-home, but what part of the hotel cleaning experience made bot is taken care of.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, and I'll start with that second question. So. You know, I, I literally had a stopwatch. I had a notebook. I was taking notes and, and timing each task, uh, and then I was shadowing room attendance, Worked on my own for a bit, and really, you know, saw a few big challenges with certain tasks. Initially, I was looking at starting with bed making, given how much time and, and the fact that it's the number one driver of injuries for the role, and then realized and, and heard, you know, some pretty honest feedback that. The ROI might not be there yet in terms of the cost of building and, and feasibility of the technology today or, you know, back then, 2015. But then I looked at kind of cleaning the bathrooms and realized there would be its own challenges. And that's where I landed kind of the third piece was floor cleaning in terms of the both the time as well as contribution to injuries, which was really a key factor in, in thinking through what problem we wanted to solve. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where I landed was, you know, the idea that we could save up to 20 percent in the rooms, up to, you know, 80, 90 percent in public spaces was really, you know, seemed very, very key and, and got some really good feedback from some of the you know, potential clients to customer discovery. And then, yeah, really looked, you know, had a bunch of mentors in the robotics space, PhD students at Cornell at the time, as well as like professors and others in the industry, and really just felt like in terms of where the technology was, you know, the LiDAR sensor as a big factor and the computers uh, and all of those enabling technologies, it was really at a point where the price point was feasible. To provide an roi after doing the calculations and and that combination of you know being feasible as well as being able to provide a real roi both for the client and ourselves seemed like a really good place to start as well as of course the the overwhelming positive feedback we got as we did customer discovery
0: that that's great so clearly well thought out well structured there's a number of different areas you were thinking about which is that how would the customers perceive it what would price point, it sounds like you have a sense of what price point they would be willing to pay, but then also understanding the technology and manufacturing side of what it would cost to put something together to solve this problem. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. Great. exactly. It was the combination of those factors and just doing the math and, and really drilling into it. And that's where we landed that that would be a really great you know, foot in the door first place to start.
0: Cool. So I'm going to ask a few questions that are way outside my knowledge, and then I'll go back into things that I sort of understand better. But in terms of I guess the made bot itself, you know, what parts are you assembling? Like what parts are necessarily off the shelf? What parts are you having custom manufactured in my limited research? It seemed like there's sort of greater open source software, maybe greater standardization of some components in some areas in robotics. Now than there used to be is, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I am curious how you thought about sort of actually building made bot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so really, you know, we, we looked at the hardware side and, and we're looking what what else is out there, right? Of what could be, you know, really something we potentially could just focus on enhancing the software of. But nothing cut it in terms of the durability, in terms of the performance of the cleaning, in terms of the, really the needs for a commercial market versus consumer. There, there was nothing at all. So realized we had to start on the hardware from scratch. So everything's been designed in-house all through our teammates, our amazing engineering team. And of course, we've leveraged over, you know, off the shelf components. So like the LiDAR sensor, for example, the camera, certain sensors, the, the PCBs we've designed in-house, but, you know, we get those actual components off the shelf, you know, those chips. So all of those things are definitely off the shelf. And, and we, of course, have to build out driver software and other types of software to accommodate that. But in terms of the, you know, hardware itself, the design, the, the core functionality, that's all been designed in-house. And then on the software side you're right for sure in terms of the open source there's definitely a lot more out there as it relates to self-driving car software for example we use gazebo which is great for simulating the robot so we're, we're able to leverage things that are open source but then we customize it and add a lot of complexity to it to better tailor towards our needs you know to really make sure that it's built out for our needs gets us the info we need and then you know for example the self-driving car algorithms those are all built in-house and you know really have an incredible team behind those uh, the data side of things so yeah so we've definitely been able to leverage certain open source software packages and, and tools and then really build around that at the core yeah
0: that, that was super helpful thank you so the the maid bot does it work alongside a human so is both the robot and a human in the room at the same time or is it meant for the maid bot to go in when there's no cleaning person in the room how does that sort of actual actually work?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, the the product is named Rosie, the first one, and Rosie focuses on working alongside the room attendants. So we still, you know, still very much need a human to do other tasks, cleaning the bathroom, making the beds, dusting, taking out the trash, all of those things still need to be done. So the idea is that, and what we've seen work really well is the room attendant will take the robot into the room. They'll deploy the robot and then do the other tasks or do the other tasks and then deploy the robot before they go into the bathroom, for example. And then the robot will go back to the starting location They just take it to the next room and then they're ready for the next clean.
0: Great. It, and so it sounds like that works pretty well. The attendant, are they, you know, do they have any issues working with a robot? I know maybe in the past it would have been people, people might have felt like a robot was taking their job. Obviously, this is positioned as the robot is helping with a task that is sort of arduous. You know, What are the interactions like between the attendant and the robot?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really key point, because at the end of the day, if the room attendants are not extremely excited and on board with the robot, then nothing else matters. <laughs> so we've spent a lot of time on simplifying user experience to make it as seamless, as easy, as reliable as possible. So that, you know, with our latest version of the software and, and robot, it's been working really well. And, you know, there's definitely a adjustment period, right? Some of these room attendants have been doing the job for 20, 30 years and change is not always exciting <laughs> to, to some of them too, right? Like like anyone, you know, there can be some resistance. So we typically like to start with you know really focused group of room attendants who who are on board, and then typically what we see is you know they get used to it. The, the user experience is just so simple; they pick it up very quickly. And then from there, we start to see other room attendants see that, and there's kind of a pull approach, you know, asking Where, where's my robot? When do I get my robot? So overall, it's been really good. There's of course been some hiccups with. You know things as, as as seemingly simple as the doors being left open in the rooms, and then the robot might you know clean the hallway when they don't want it to. So we've adjusted a lot of the software and and the product itself to accommodate just you know the human behavior piece to again just make it very reliable and and seamless to use.
0: That's a that's a helpful picture, and it it sounds like I would say that the sort of usage pattern in. Uh, sort of onboarding pattern is maybe similar to traditional enterprise software. So you have the buyer, but then you have a group of people who are actually going to use the software on a day-to-day basis, and you need to figure out how to onboard them in the correct way. So you have someone buying the made package, and then you have the attendants who actually have to use it, and you have to get them used, used to it and how to use it effectively and educate them on that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's 100% accurate. I'd say there's kind of different levels of people we interact with in terms of, you know, the executive level and then property level. Everyone from the room attendant, who's the core user, super important stakeholder in the process, all the way to the general manager and director of housekeeping at the property level, who are big champions and, and big, you know, in, in terms of making sure they're being utilized. And if questions are asked, they're, they're getting answered and they're getting that support. And then the executive level, which is more the ones that typically will, you know, make the decision and economic buyer. So, so yeah, typically the conversation will start at the executive level uh, when they just reach out through our website or introduction. And then from there, you know, starts to engage the property teams pretty quickly so that we can understand their, their concerns in general with what's going on. And then uh, with the robot itself, what questions they have and making sure that we tailor it towards their needs and, and that they, you know, come in bought in as part of that process.
0: That, that's a that's a really helpful picture. Who is the the executive that typically comes in? Is that an operations? Is it a housekeeping? I'm assuming it's not HR.
1: Yeah, yeah. So typically we uh, focus on working with the operations teams. So that could have a whole you know different name convention depending on the the company. But typically you know executives on the operational side or room
0: side. Okay. And at this point, are they mostly coming inbound? They've heard about you, they've heard about your solution and they're like, Oh, this is great. I want to learn more and see if this can help my, my hotel, my property. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. So they either find us online after Google searching, they see articles or they, you know, word of mouth in the industry, people start reaching out or making introductions for us. So yeah, it's, what's been great is it's all been inbound. we will definitely start, you know, more on the marketing side and outbound side later this year, but as of now it's all been inbound and organic for us which is great and really points to the problem that all of these groups are facing
0: in terms of getting your first set of customers you know i know cornell has a great hospitality program were you able to like leverage a network from from cornell or other places but how did you go about getting your first customers for this
1: yeah yeah absolutely so cornell was super helpful i would say the hotel school the entrepreneurship institute the some of the entrepreneurial programs and accelerators helped a lot so yeah, to be honest, that's that's where I started in terms of the client discovery side was just asking professors and asking mentors and, and people in the school, hey, uh, who should I talk to? And then from there, you know, consistently asking, okay, who should I talk to next? Uh, kind of got me on this uh, trail of many experts in the industry that you know, gave some really good input and some of which landed in deals
0: down the road as well. Nice. That That's great. How are deals structured in robotics? I'm curious about the pricing, but I'm also curious about... What is the unit of sale? Is it a robot? Is it a monthly price? Just can you talk more about sort of that side of this?
1: Yeah, for sure. So so we won't get too into the details just because it depends. But overall, we do a, mo- a monthly lease model, and that's per robot. And then typically, each property needs at least four robots. It's like the minimum. And then it could be way more than that with some properties that have signed up for like 100 robots <laughs> for one property. So it really depends on the size. And then, yeah, we we really try and position this as a service because, of course, at the end of the day, there's you know the robot and that technology, the physical product doing the job, but there's more to it in terms of certain data we're we're delivering as well as just you know making sure that we're truly delivering that value and supporting them to you know in, in different ways to see that
0: value come through. Okay, so that, that's interesting. So the the price the the robots are being leased. Effectively. So yeah. you're going in, you're speaking with operations, how many rooms you need cleaned. Okay, that's X number of robots. And so therefore, we recommend you lease this number of robots. So they're not buying them. And does that mean they're giving them back at a certain time period, like a car lease? Or is it just really sort of a different model? And I'm using the wrong analogy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, it is similar to car lease, where, you know, at the end of the period of time, we, we still will own the robots and, and, everything associated. And then it would automatically convert because at that point, you know, after two years, like a standard contract length, but then we assume we'll have, you know, an even better version and a version we want to focus on supporting more. So, so yeah, that's the model right now. And so far it's been working really well.
0: Oh, nice. That's great. So there's this upgrade cycle in the robot as well. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, that's cool. So every couple of years you're going to get like a new set of robots. They'll have new capabilities as well. Yeah. In, and are there software updates? I'm assuming on the robots. I'm assuming like you improve some function uh, or identify some issue and update that is, like there's a, a software update process.
1: Yeah, exactly. So just like a Tesla car or, or a phone, even as an example, we actually do over there updates. So yeah, so we're constantly sending new updates, various how frequently, but but that way, you know, we can enhance the software. And, and, and at the end of the day, the hardware is very well vetted meets actually exceeds requirements in terms of the cleaning and and reliability so we feel really good about that and and that's even modular so that it's easy to swap parts out if if, you know motor burns out after a year or whatnot that's all easy but then the software piece is really something that we can more regularly uh, upgrade and shift
0: out you know throughout the process do you price like are there software features that you price differently or is it really just on a per robot basis?
1: Yeah, so we're definitely looking at that right now. We're focused on uh, just per robot basis. You know, we're we're revolutionizing housekeeping, commercial cleaning, and it's so new for a lot of these operators. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to keep it as simple as possible, but definitely Makes exploring sense. the possibility of having different you know features as kind of upsell, different yeah, different
0: components there. I'm curious as I like think about sort of being in a larger company or organization, and there's like a budget. And so there's probably some amount of objective of, we need to make sure the hotel rooms are clean and they're cleaned within this period of time. And I'm assuming that there's a way that it could be an HR solution or it could be an operations solution. It could be hiring people or it could be hiring robots. And that budget could go to different places. You know What, what are sort of the alternative options that people are considering? Are they like looking at Madebot versus other robot solutions? Are they looking at Madebot versus humans? Is it both? How have you seen those conversations structured? I'm really curious about this as work evolves and I think automation increases.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think, you know, right now with the the labor crisis uh, where it is, it's really creating major challenges. And I've heard stories in, you know, hospitality where the general manager of a property is cleaning rooms full time to keep up with demand. You know, they're flying out VPs of operations literally to to clean full time to keep up with demand. So, you know, that's one strain. And then they start having to rely on like overtime because now they need, you know, they only Mm -hmm. have the number of people and now need still need more time. Or, you know, a big one is relying on third party labor. So they've contract companies that they work with that, you know, help supply labor kind of like temp or just, you know, that outsourced approach and that costs two to three X. So really when they're looking at this, that's, I'd probably say the core alternative because at the end of the day, they still need people doing all the other tasks. So, so it's not like, you know, we're able to solve for all of that or or do any of that. And that's not our goal either. We want to work with humans, not uh, replace humans. And, and, and part of that is looking at, okay, what are the alternatives of increased cost of third-party labor or overtime.
0: You know things like that yeah i I definitely feel you know i remember walking through sfo a few years ago and seeing a robot making espresso and coffee and there was no line and i had no desire to use it and it's like no i'm going to go to the human stick with the humans and now in this labor crisis it's like okay people there's just not enough people to work you know there's a number of reasons for that so it really has changed how i perceive robots and automation and I'm sure it sort of really changes the the demand and tailwind because it doesn't seem clear that we're going to get through the labor shortage anytime soon in the US. Yeah, so
1: absolutely. And some stats on that real quick, just to point to like true tr- yeah, tr- like, data. Yeah, when I started the company in 2015, there's a million open positions in hospitality in the US alone. Now there's 3 million. I also read a stat that back in August of 2021, just within the month of August, within 30 days, 7% of the entire hospitality workforce quit. You know, they don't want to be doing this anymore. They don't want kids to be doing this anymore. They're shifting into other roles. And, you know, it could be anything from like distribution centers for companies like Amazon. It could be looking in different sectors entirely, like education or, or other types of things there. So I think really there's just this fundamental crisis in society where people don't want to be doing this or aren't doing this anymore. They're shifting and COVID's kind of accelerated that as well. And I think at the end of the day, the job still needs to be done. So I think the key questions are, how do we help alleviate those gaps and those big challenges of those jobs that need to be done while also supporting those people in education and in future ways to support them to, you know, work in different sectors or areas that that might be more interesting or exciting for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are some great opportunities for reskilling people and hopefully something that our country gets and, and every country gets really good at yeah. so that we can automate certain tasks and rescale people to other areas. Yeah, as you: exactly. As you look at the space within robotics, how do you think about where to go next? And you know I've seen some robots that will clean bathrooms, and you know from it's an interesting thing. they roll up to a door, they pour the do- pull the door open, they go in, and then they sort of just like spray water across everything. And to me that doesn't seem like necessarily a great job cleaning, um, but, but I'm curious how you evaluate a next area for you. Obviously, you want to make your core product better you know do you look at complementary solutions do you think about okay we could partner with these robots and sell as a package just curious how you think about that
1: yeah that's a really good question and i think at the end of the day we only want to be building something that provides huge value right and and that could take different forms so i'll dig into that more i'll take a step back though like fundamentally i i view innovation and, and technology as having kind of three tiers that you can somewhat group them in so one is vitamins you know, you can live without vitamins or most people kind I would say, and you might see an improvement. You might see a bit of an enhancement, but overall, you know, if you didn't have vitamins, you'd probably be able to survive. Aspirin, you know, solves a headache so or a, or a pain point. So that's something you definitely notice, definitely makes a big improvement. But at the same time, you know, if you didn't have it, maybe you'd still be better off. You'd still be okay, uh, or you'd find a, a different solution. And then the last piece is Oxygen. You can't live without oxygen. There's no getting around that. We only want to be focused on technologies and innovations that are oxygen, that just people can't live without, like cleaning, like floor cleaning, like vacuuming. That's just a must have, must do every clean, regardless. So, when we're thinking about future innovations or things we want to focus on, that it has to pass that test. Uh, and then I believe it's Larry Page from Google who has the toothbrush test, which is, you know, if it's used one to two times every single day, passes the toothbrush test. So that's another kind of factor within the, the oxygen piece. I want to I make sure that we build things that are used every single day, probably many times. Like our robots today are used every day, actually up to like 8 to 12 hours every day. So, so really, to me, that's that's the core piece that we need to do. And the specific task is based on that. But then, you know, looking at this industry in particular, when we look at the efficiency side, that's key because of these labor challenges. So how do we drive efficiencies? and make an impact there. And then another core piece, which is super important, is how do we drive a better work experience for the room attendants, for the users? How do we help solve the fact that they have the highest rate of injuries in the, in the service sector, second highest in the entire private sector? You know, how do we impact that? So those are the key criteria I look at versus, you know, just jumping right into a specific task.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a very helpful framework that's clearly very methodical. I'm curious if you have a sense of the pace of improvement for robots. And so, you know, you mentioned LiDAR being off the shelf. Actually, probably don't know the pace of improvement for LiDAR. It does seem like it's become more ubiquitous over time. I think probably self-driving cars have helped, although I understand not everyone uses them. You know, do you look at other potential options for your robots so that things that sort of fit that used multiple times a day definitely needs to get done and say, you know, My intuition is in three to five years, this technology might be in a place where we could use it effectively. Or or is that sort of maybe too far out from where you are of probably building and scaling your company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think I I definitely think about it, uh, especially in my role as as being the visionary, thinking about what's next, right? And what specific tasks and areas and and verticals, right? Because even when we look at our current product, just to clarify that, you know, hospitality is not the end goal. It's the starting point. And we've had a lot of success there and a lot of traction. Now we're getting a lot of traction and demand in office cleaning, uh, multifamily, so apartment building cleaning, airports, airplanes, you know, all the stadiums, all these types of real estate. So to me, there's also that layer to it. But to get to your question more specifically, we're building a platform, both on the hardware and software side. The hardware can be leveraged for other use cases uh, and other types of cleaning or even other types of you know tasks that require a mobile robot. And then the software is really building the indoor navigation platform for self-driving technology. So, you know, when it comes to the setup, the actual dropship ability that we've already set up. So these robots are to use out of the box. The fact that they can navigate any space uh, without any sort of integration, being able to deliver data on that as well. All of that sort of stuff can be used for essentially any indoor robot that's mobile. So, you know, for us, building off of that is key what other tasks require that right so it could be other types of cleaning like wet cleaning bigger space cleaning that could be other types of things all the way to like dusting or trash pickup but leveraging that i think is really important and then you know really it's it's digging in more to the discovery side of what are the key pain points what's going to move the needle the most for these partners how do we really help solve their problems and then again those tasks kind of get fit into that so
0: okay that That's going to take me a moment to process a little bit. I think there was a lot there that was just really interesting to me and sort of changed my perspective, which which I love. So you're a robot company. You're solving these pain points. It also sounds like there's an opportunity for you to be this platform company to help other robots companies solve pain points. Uh, So for example, I heard about this company, Foxglove. They are taking a software package for people to see what the robot sees that I guess a number of other companies have built. And they are sort of like selling that uh, as a software package. And so like that could be another option that you think about. It sounds like maybe not that specific one, but just how do you make this platform for others to leverage as well?
1: Yeah, I I think that's definitely something we've been exploring and thinking about. And I think really it's, it's, you know, in terms of our tagline, I've always said, you know, we are a commercial service robotics company, we're robotics, but really more broadly speaking, we are building AI for the physical world. And that takes different forms that takes, yeah, you know, the self-driving car software algorithms we've built, the physical hardware that's really unique that we've built out, you know, the the data side, like there are all these components that can be leveraged for other use cases. So yeah, we, we want to continue to build out, you know, future products and, and have that kind of fully integrated, kind of a closed loop approach. And then down the road that could shift.
0: Great. Okay. I'm going to take it back probably much more tactically and close close to what you're working on a day-to-day basis. So I think you all raised a round of funding not too long ago. How are you using those funds? Where do those go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, we've we raised funding close closed around a bit ago. And really that's helping us drive the growth. And we have overwhelming demand. I mean we have many, many robots that are signed for and, and are waiting on us. And we've been delivering exceptionally well over the past few months, past six months essentially, and things are moving really quickly with those those clients. So really the goal is building out the team on engineering, but but even more specifically the business operational side, where we haven't built that out as much. So, you know, the service inside, the support, the customer success, things like that, as well as building out more of the robots themselves <laughs> and being able to catch inventory up to demand. So, you know, those are really the core focuses right now. And, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, good path ahead, pretty clear path, like a lot of knowns. And then, of course, we'll we'll learn more. We'll have other things we need to solve for uh, as we kind of get into that next chapter. Mm-hmm. But this year is the hockey stick growth uh, that we've been that's working awesome. towards.
0: So, so you can fill that market pull. Basically, there's people like we need your robots. We need your robots, and you can't make them fast enough. Essentially, yeah, that, that's great. And because you've been you've been working on this for since 2015 as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Exactly. So you've clearly been preparing and and now like have this, I'm sure the product's in a good spot and also great tailwinds to help push this along. Exactly.
1: It's kind of everything coming together at the same time with, with the product market fit, an incredible team, you know, huge, just overwhelming demand. And now, you know, the manufacturing all set up. So it's all kind of come together. And then, like you said, the tailwinds with just the state of the industry and the market has definitely accelerated certain things as well
0: that's fantastic so you know one of the questions i had is you know what are you looking to do next it sounds like grow and invest in the team and build out some of these operation capacities in the business side is that right
1: yeah yeah i think it's really continue to build out the team continuing to strengthen you know how we operate as a machine in terms of just all of the different components core components of the business and just really getting more robots out there to the world.
0: yeah great when you look at the robotics industry, are there companies that you look at as sort of like, okay, this is an incredibly successful robotics company and think about management or other tactics they've done that you would think about bringing in-house to to Madebot?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, there's definitely some really inspiring companies out there. I'd say, you know, one that might not traditionally be viewed as a robotics company but is is shifting that way is Tesla. And, you know, a lot of respect for what they've been doing and what they've been able to accomplish. Of course, a lot of controversy (laughs) over what's going on too. But, you know, self-driving cars are robots, right? So Mm -hmm. I think companies like that, like Tesla, what Cruise has done, what Waymo has been able to accomplish. And then even I have some friends doing self-driving trucks, like Embark Trucks has been remarkable to watch over the years. And yeah, they're they're building very similar technologies for outdoor, you know, driving use cases. We're bringing that indoors. So that's Mm -hmm. very inspiring for us. And then, of course, other, you know, robotics companies out there. But to be honest with you, the commercial side outside of factories and warehouses, it's just getting started. There's not many other companies to look at or or point to on that front, which, you know, means which honestly makes it even more exciting to to be able to kind of create those rules versus having to follow a, a
0: rule book, quote unquote. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned getting involved in robotics in high school. I'm curious as I actually have like a five-year-old and he's interested in building robots. Like yeah. what was sort of the the ways that you sort of got interested into it in, a, in an earlier age? Like what helped cultivate it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think I bu- built my first robot when I was five. So good timing. <laughs> okay. And my parents just got me a kit. I think my dad just got it at the toy store. And that, you know, was so much fun. I, it was like a great way to bond and it was just awesome. Then I, I think I built out a couple more kits. I was just intrigued. Uh, and then, of course, certain media like, you know, wall from Pixar was mm. really, uh-huh. really yeah. cool to watch and just loved Wally, loved Ava, thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then eventually, you know, I was just, one of my buddies was in this robotics program in high school and was like, hey, this is something that you'd probably like. You, you should try it out. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I did that for a few years and ended up we our team won a couple of international competitions. And that was super exciting and was able to learn more. Still basic work, but, but still was able to learn more about the software engineering aspects of it and essentially building the brains. Uh, and I'd say that was the key catalyst for me uh, was that club was free program. I just, you know, it was like sponsored through Lockheed Martin. It was called Botball, B-O-T-Ball. And it's like first robotics. So I think, you know, I, I definitely encourage kids and parents of kids to have them just try it, right? Just like a sport, you know, if they don't like it, they don't like it. But you, there's different like summer programs. There's different opportunities to do that. And that's really what was the catalyst for me to say, whoa, th- this is going to change the world and inspire. And, and I want to continue to drive that. So we partnered last year with Black Girls Code, and we actually did a really fun little workshop with with different students from all over the country who wanted to learn about you know, really building robots and, and some more of the intricacies of that. And we had people reaching out to us after, even just one girl in particular, who's like, you know, robotics always sounded cool, but I actually got to try it. This is something I really want to be pursuing more in high school and, and in even college. And just to hear that is, it's amazing.
0: It's you know, yeah. really amazing to hear. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. That's great that you all have been able to do that. Maybe the last question here, you know, in your journey with Madebot, is there an idea that you went into it with that you've like completely changed your mind on? Like, hey, I really thought things would be this way, but they're actually this other way or something like, you know what? I thought it would be this way and I was just like super right and it made a difference.
1: Yeah yeah, I mean, I, I don't think a ton has changed. In fact, I feel like now that our robots are getting out there, I've even more confidence in our in our vision and in the direction we're going and our true mission to you know build robots that empower humans. So I think I've definitely you know more of the detailed like software and and hardware and the technology pieces. I have a better understanding, maybe a more realistic understanding mm-hmm. um of what those steps are to get there. You know, it's not necessarily jumping right into building a humanoid as our next product as an example. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, there's a foundation now. And and I think, you know, it's just it's proven and it's even strengthened throughout COVID the need for what we're doing. And we're doing one form of it. And, you know, we're gonna start building those other forms of robots soon.
0: Great. That's fantastic. Micah, i really appreciated the time. This is great. This is a huge learning experience for me. I think this is a new area. So trying to get my ground on it, but really interesting. So thanks for the time.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.